Hey, Vince McMahon, it's time for this week's Stick to Wrestling podcast. Oh, no, give me a break. Oh, brother. Listening to the Stitch Wrestling Podcast. I want to thank Miss Diana Ross for writing that song about her favorite podcast, Stick to Wrestling. Where if you give us 60 minutes, perhaps indeed, we will give you a raw bone podcast. Before we get rolling, I want to invite everyone to follow me on Twitter. Just put in the name John McAdam. Follow the guy with the wrestling avatar. I now have over a thousand followers. Thank you very much. I know there are people out there who have over a million. I ain't one of them. I'm happy with my thousand. Also, if you like this show, join our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook, put in stick to wrestling and ask to join and you're automatically in simple as that. It's good conversation about wrestling and sometimes some other stuff. Before we get rolling, I also want to let you know that there are over 170 episodes in our archives. If you want to go back and listen to one of them for the first time or maybe relive them, uh, it's all at mcadampod.com. And I'd like to thank Brian Last for giving me this podium, this show. If you enjoy it, we you owe Brian a thanks or gratitude, because, and he's a really good guy. With that, um, I want to bring on Thomas Bain. Thomas and I, uh, first of all, Thomas, how are you? Well, I mean... I was doing good before the intro, and then I hear you make all these gratuitous thank yous, and then you abruptly stop and say, oh, and my guest this week. So <laughs> I, I guess I fall out of the favor of thank you. So had you asked me how am I doing two minutes ago, it would have been great, but now apprehensive over my lot in life, John McAdams. Uh, my mind is scrambling, Thomas. I'm, I'm trying to get all this stuff in. I apologize. How's everything going in West Virginia? It is the most beautiful weather in the world from September one until October one. And then you get that rainy fall that lasts until about the week after Easter. So you, you have to soak in the enjoyable weather in this state because it's nine months of pure dredge. Wow. I didn't know it was that bad. And you went to the Mountaineers game last Saturday and they won. So life is good on that front. Fantastic. They nearly blew it. I nearly had a coronary in the uh, seat. All right. Well, I'm sure you're looking forward to playing Central Florida and BYU and all those guys in a couple of years. Well, I will when Oklahoma wins 58-10 on Saturday. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think the whole thing was was actually good in a way for the Big Eight Conference because it kind of flattens things out. But anyway, one of the best shows, I think, one of the best show. The, the best episode of Stick to Wrestling is when Thomas and I had, we listened to the audio of Dave Meltzer trying to interview Ole Anderson. Today, we're going to do something similar to that. In 1992, on the Phil Donahue show, uh, Vince McMahon, Dave Meltzer, superstar Billy Graham, a whole bunch of guys appeared from the wrestling business to discuss the WWF's ongoing steroids and uh sex scandals and we're going to listen to that before we get rolling on that thomas i mean is there anything you want to say coming in uh, coming into this i i knew about this the aftermath as a kid because i was eight nine years old as it all went down so i knew about it from the aftermath and really they played it off pretty coy you would see it on the last page because i believe pwi at the time 
was selling their own version of a newsletter in the back of the PWI that I think was a little bit of a dirt sheet. I think there was some kayfabe to it, but you would see things about so-and-so died, so-and-so arrested. And that's where I learned about the uh, Ring Boy scandal, learned about the steroid trials. And then you would see it on your typical, uh, at the time, tabloid news magazine, the current affair, hard copy, those sorts of things. So I was aware of it, but not really to the in-depth that I would be, you know, later on down the road. Okay, I, I do remember the PWI newsletter. I got it for a little while. And the way you described it, yeah, it, it was still, you described it well. It was still a little bit kayfabe. It wasn't like the, the Observer or anything, but it wasn't as, I don't know, crazy as the 70s, 80s aftermags. Right. I think they really just hit home just the, the meat news articles. Like I said, somebody passing away, somebody being arrested, somebody signing with WWF or WCW. It wasn't really in the weeds as much as Dave Meltzer, obviously. Exactly. All right. Uh, let's get rolling. We'll listen to the intro of the Phil Donahue show, and we will relive a big part of 1992. Entertainment now stepping forward. A lot of men saying that there's a good deal of gay sex abuse underway in the world of wrestling. And everybody all these years has been scared to step forward. Now come forward a number of people to say, because I wouldn't have sex, with another guy in the game, I couldn't get promoted, including three, honestly, some, some, well, listen, while you're laughing, this is Ben. This is... All right. I know society has changed and no one's allowed to laugh at anything. But if you're sitting in the audience in 1992 and Phil just throws that fire hose at you and these people are just like picturing pro wrestlers. In that position, you can't help but laugh. I'm sorry. Go ahead, John. I'm not adding fuel to the fire here, so do what you're going to say. And, and to be honest with you, a lot of these, and you'll, and you'll see about this later on, or hear about it rather, later on in the show, where folks will uh, can request tickets to the Donahue show. It's not, I'm requesting tickets for wrestling. I'm requesting tickets for this or that. You got what you got. And yep. if you were in New York at the time, yeah. and that was the day, that was the show you were going to or you were staying, you were staying in the hotel. So nope. I can't imagine there were a majority of wrestling fans, if even a, a smattering of wrestling fans. I think Vince McMahon asked for a certain amount of seats, and he didn't get them. If I, if I remember the, the story correctly, he wanted like, you know, 12 or 20, I don't know audience seats made available to him and he was turned down and he went, went on the show anyway. Well, I can't imagine that Rene Goulet and Chief Jay Strombo would have been good questions. Uh, asking, you know, asking fair and balanced questions of the panel. I don't think so. On, so I don't know what, who you brought. What they usually did, it was almost like the Tuesday night show with uh, McMahon and Heenan where the family members of the people either in the camera crew or in the WWF would be the audience members, or at least a lot of the audience members. Well, I remember in the, the, the tail end of a, they were doing the live show. I believe it was almost made mandatory. If you worked in Titan Tower, you were yep. sticking around for that taping. Yeah, if they, if they needed butts in the audience, you had to do it. I once had tickets for that. It was like the end of 1991, and we had a really bad snowstorm, but I would have been part of the primetime wrestling audience. I mean, it's 
it's something that I don't, I can't imagine went smoothly, especially with no live action being there. And given McMahon's level of perfectionism, that could turn into a two o'clock in the morning type taping. I could only imagine. You're right. The, the way Vince is. All right, let's continue listening to the Donahue show from 1992. Well, listen, while you're laughing, this has been this has been a not so funny issue for women. Now we have a casting couch, essentially alleged in the wrestling game. And some guys are saying I lost my job because I wouldn't do this to this uh, guy who was a, a higher, more powerful than me on the ladder. And before you think this is trivial, first of all, let's understand that a couple of these uh, charges involve kids, 14 years old, juveniles. You go to jail for a long time if you're involved with sex of any kind with a juvenile. One more point. The Wrestling Federation, you know how you tee-hee-ha-ha, ha, what a joke, hoo-hoo, $1.7 billion in 1990. That's more revenue that has been generated by the NFL. So while you're laughing, somebody is whistling all the way to the bank. We have three. Okay, I remember watching this live, going out of my way to see it live. And as soon as Phil said that, $1.7 billion in 1990, I was like, okay, he has no clue what he's talking about. And then like the nerd that I am, I sit there going into my head, okay, well, is that is that just the gross revenue of everything combined, including Japan, including merchandising? It couldn't be 20% of that. I mean, Phil, you know, I'm sorry, Phil, if you're th- throwing that number out there, it, it's just totally wrong. It, it's inflated by at least 400%. So when you look at 1.7 billion, this is the first thing I thought. And I thought the same thing you thought as well, too. How, where is it coming from? It's obviously more than WWF. But besides NWA, he was really making nothing, and they were really not generating much revenue besides house shows and pay-per-views. Every little indie show at the time wasn't bringing that in. Maybe Japan. And then I thought, okay, are they counting the 80% that Hasbro gets for the action figures in this? Are they counting the 80% that Nintendo gets for the video games? And then I'm trying to justify my mind, okay, home video, this person gets that. Are they counting every dollar coming in as towards wrestling? And with that, I, I, I found it hard to fathom, but I couldn't just outright say it's impossible. No, I mean, the nerd in me on that day was like, you know, doing what you were doing, adding everything up. And then, like, the logical side of my head kicks in. And it's like, John, it's just a lie. Never mind. Yeah, I, I can't. Is that something fed to him by, like, Vince. WWF corporate at the time? I don't know who else would feed him that kind of information. Obviously, Mel, I, I can't imagine Donahue not just coming to, you know, his people not coming to Meltzer about this, unless, of course, Donahue's people have no idea of the first thing about wrestling, except for Hulk Hogan. I was with Dave. This aired in March, so I was hanging out with him in September, and we were talking about it. And Dave said that Donahue's people got in touch with him that morning. And Dave's on the phone with them, I want to say an hour or two, and they basically just ignored everything Dave said. They ignored all of the prep that Meltzer had provided, I believe for free, to the Donahue show. Yeah, and I don't know. 
I can't imagine that it's anything different than they didn't want to go back and rewrite the narrative of the uh, the introduction by Phil Donahue, because really 1.7 billion sounds fine, and in 1991-92, no one's really fact checking that, and if someone is fact checking that, there's no forum for them to fact you know, to share the facts too. So it's a it's a white lie that they got away with for 25 years, 30 years. Well, uh, not really. I mean, I, I do remember, you know, that, that kind of being the buzz in the newsletters, like it's not 1.7 billion. It doesn't bring in more revenue than the NFL, for God's sake. Yeah, but I, that's, I get that. But the average person watching Phil Donahue at 10 o'clock in the morning on a Wednesday doesn't subscribe to the Wrestling Observer newsletter. So there's exactly. 1.7 billion by Phil Donahue taking it face value. Yeah, exactly. The person you know, says to their next door neighbor the next day, can you believe the WWF makes more money than the NFL? Uh, anyway, and you're right. You know, most people just listen to whatever they hear. They, they've always done that. And I guess that was a, a masterful stroke on Vince McMahon's part, showing how big the WWF really was, except it wasn't. All right, let's continue listening to the Phil Donahue show. We have three people who used to be in the wrestling game who are going to tell you that they indeed encountered people who wanted sexual favors and they were professionally penalized when they said no. And if you think the WWF is hiding behind lawyers, here is the head of that organization who has accepted incidentally recently resignations from two executives who stand accused, accused of gay sexual Harassment. He'll have a prepared statement. First, let's get the charges underway here. Gentlemen, Murray Hodgson, hired by Vince McMahon, here on my left for the TV job. You were the commentator. Uh, and then fired two months later. What happened? Can you specifically, and without taking us around the world, tell us what is it that happened to you? I wouldn't sleep with the vice president of operations, so they fired me. Is the, uh, uh... Is the vice president of operations one of those who resigned? Yes, he is. And do you want to name him? I don't think that'd be necessary. Um, what did you, you did you announce? Did you do any color for any telecasts? Yes. About how long did you do the color? Oh, I started for about a month. They hired me for a two-year deal, and it just went right out the window when I decided that uh, I didn't want to sleep with the vice president. Well, I listened. I watched this about four years ago for the first time on YouTube. And I refreshed myself today and watched it again. And, you know, learning all the, all the pieces of this, the first thing that jumps out to me, knowing what I know now, is Murray Hodgson is the only accuser amongst everybody who doesn't name the perpetrator purposefully. Like, he does not name Pat Patterson. And knowing what we know now about Murray Hodgson, was he hedging his bets to avoid a defamation lawsuit by Pat Patterson? That's a very good question. I would not rule that out. A couple of things. Number one, I, I did like how Hodgson, Phil Donahue says to him, okay, without taking us around the world, and Hodgson just goes, boom, I wouldn't sleep at the guy and they fired me. I was, I was actually very impressed with that. When I first watched this, let's say four or five years ago, I had never heard of Murray Hodgson in my entire life. I, I may have wow. seen his name you know, linked to this, maybe linked to this, but I had never seen him on WWF television. Never heard him doing an event center because they still had Sean Mooney doing those. They still, uh, maybe Mean Gene as well, a little bit in my uh, market. But he was never there. And then I thought about it too. Like there was this, you know, transitional group of like co hosts from Joe Fowler to Craig DeGeorge to Sean Mooney to Joe Fowler to Todd Pettengill. They interchanged them out quite quickly. And I just wonder if I just missed him. But in my area, he was never on TV. 
No, he was never on WWF TV. He did a videotape for the World Bodybuilding Federation. Uh, I don't know if there were plans to eventually put him on WWF TV. I, I don't I imagine that with his uh, contract, because I was it correct if I'm wrong here. Wasn't the WBF and the WWF two whole separate entities, just the same way the XFL and the WWE are, you know, uh, back in the day, to where if you were a WBF employee, you necessarily, if that if WBF folded, you weren't absorbed by, by Vince McMahon and Titan. That is correct. They were separate entities. And also as far as like contracts go, I mean, back in that day, probably still to this day, WWF contracts were very one-sided in the favor of the WWF, like exceptionally so. Exactly. I, I do remember, though, and I could be wrong in recollecting this, but hearing about it later on, obviously, that the, there was a lot of resentment from the wrestlers in WWF because the WBF guys got guaranteed deals for 75, 100. And I want to say that um, Gary Stridham, who was the, the top bodybuilder, was getting something in excess of you know, 200 to a quarter million dollars a year guaranteed. That sounds about right. And I do know there was a lot of resentment with the WWF wrestlers. I mean, wrestlers in general back then were resentful of everything, but they were genuinely pissed that these guys, the, the, the wrestlers felt this way, that we have to train on the road and we're not getting a guarantee and we have to pay for our own hotel rooms. These guys get to sit at home and train and that's all they do. And they, they're getting these big guaranteed deals. Of course, one had nothing to do with the other. Vince had to sign these guys away from Joe Weider. Yeah, and I believe part of the reason why Vince needed to overpay was, I, I believe it came out, I don't, I don't believe they stuck to it, but the Weeders kind of said, if you leave us, you're blackballed. You, you're, you're done forever with the, uh, and I, I have no clue about international bodybuilding, but it's Same here. IFPB or whatever the hell it is, yeah. But I, I do recall the Weeders saying, you know, almost even publicly, if they join this McMahon outfit, they're they're done. But I believe after the WBF four of those guys did uh, get welcomed back into the fray. So, yeah, that that's always the threat that if you leave, you're never coming back. And well, just about everyone comes back in, in every business. But all right, let's continue listening to the Phil Donahue show from 1992. Was there any touching? Was there any kind of vulgar uh, locker room uh, activity? We're trying to be specific here, Murray, as a court of law would oblige uh, any person to be of any gender. It was a little worse than that. He uh, blatantly threatened my job security. He didn't say, sleep with me, did he? Is that the way men talk? <laughs> I don't think I don't think this is the proper forum to be I agree with you, and I appreciate details. very much you're bringing a certain amount of decorum to this. This is a daytime television show, and we don't want to draw any dirty pictures. Uh, did it happen more than once? No. Just once? Yeah. And then how long after you said no were you dismissed? Just a couple of weeks. Barry Orton. Here's Barry O, the former professional wrestler, who you think you lost your job with the WWF after refusing similarly. Actually, no, I've never actually said that. Yeah, that's something that the media has come out, and uh, with the stories that I've given, they have kind of turned it around to where I've said that. I've never said that. However, I had encounters with uh, two of the gentlemen that have resigned since the allegations began. And these, uh, these uh, incidents, of course, happened in 1978, which is a long time ago. 
However, the impact and the gravity of the situations are, are very severe. And, you know, if, if they were behaving that way then, and, yeah. uh, you know, they would behave, be behaving that way now, I would expect. Uh, no laugh here. Uh, uh, you accuse an executive grabbing your crotch, legs, and chest and wouldn't stop. Yeah, well, I was in between uh, the two of them in the back seat of the car on the trip. You were in the center. Right. And you thought it to be a place where a junior guy has to sit. Pretty much, This yeah. would be early 80s? Uh, this was 1978. 78. Oh, right. So this is before the billion-dollar wrestling mania, pay TV, Hulk Hogan oh, yes, era. Yes. Uh, and you had to drive. You know, you guys weren't weren't walking in money then. You, you right. You know. And everyone, you know, uh, the more people in the car, the better, because everyone would split the expenses and uh, right. keep their travel. And then you, didn't you don't you saying that you got out of the car and said, uh, "Not me." And uh, oh, oh yeah, you know, went on for several minutes. I finally demanded that the car be. At first, I thought it was kind of funny that they were joking, but then it became, you know, har harassment. Right. Barry, it would be hard for a jury to feel a whole lot of sympathy for a guy of your size. You know what I mean? Uh, a a, a a, uh, a helpless woman you're not. Um, how old were you when this transpired? 19 years old. Uh -huh. Probably about 35 pounds lighter. And also probably not altogether together in your head, like a lot of 19-year-olds. I don't know. Oh, I'm... absolutely not. You know, and I was trying to be accepted into, you know, into the business. Yeah. I was young, I was green. And you, you know. got the big dream ahead of you. Maybe you're going to be the big guy. And there was money if you got on the main to be car. Made, yes. Yeah. So you're following your dream, and uh, I suppose you want us to know, among other things, that uh, when a couple of guys in the game, executive types, come on to you like that, and you're 19 years old, you may, you know, you may be a little hesitant to tee them off. Of course. You know, and so I, I endured it for as long as I could until it became, uh, you know, I started feeling suffocated or, uh, you know, uh -huh. and, and I couldn't take it anymore. Well, I'm glad Phil doesn't want to draw dirty pictures for us. My God. It, it was kind of you could tell that the the prep here was written on a on a napkin in a taxi over to the studio. Yeah. When they just lumped yeah. in Barry Orton as one of the accusers of someone, you know, of losing his job. When I don't think Barry Orton had been a part of even house shows in, as late as what was the car accident? Eighty six. Ah, eighty seven. I no eight eighty seven or eighty eight. And he never came back after that, because I, I believe he did a little bit of jail time for that, too, if I'm not mistaken. You are not mistaken. He did. I have in my notes, I haven't listened to the show in like 10 years. I wanted, not that I'm being lazy and not reviewing it, but I just wanted to have a, a natural reaction. I mean, what I wrote down was, you know, no impact. This had no impact on Barry Orton's career. It was, uh, you know, ended in a car wreck. He did work for the WWF in 1984, 1985, and I think a little bit into. 1986. But what I was going to say, what happened was Barry Orton, I believe, was on John Arezzi's radio show, and he just brought up the incident. And that's where this all got started. It snowballed from there, and people started coming out with their stories. But I mean, Barry was the first to come out. It's kind of odd, I would guess you'd say, because they bring in Murray Hodgson, they you know, bring in Barry Orton, they bring in this Tom Hankins guy. You would think with just the, the pure controversy of it, they would really draw into the, the Tom Cole, Mel Phillips thing a little bit more than they did. And I uh, can't imagine with, with Phillips being gone, they kind of just killed, you know, Vince wanted that killed right there. I know Tom Cole 
I want to say at some, whether it was before or after this show, he accepted some sort of settlement, I believe, to be a ring announcer. Is that correct? <laughs> no, it's even better. Tom Cole, before the show, accepted an offer to get his job back as a ring boy. Like, this is his, you know, okay, oh, I can, I'm, I'm in a position where I can really negotiate. How about I just become a ring boy? Like, come on. I, I can't imagine they didn't lean on him and say, okay, you can either accept your, take your job back, or we're going to come after you for falsifying these things or whatever. And whether it was true or not, he probably didn't have the war chest that Vince McMahon has in terms of a legal battle. So he may just, whether, you know, true or untrue, just, you know, folded his cards right then and there. I might as well bring this up because Tom Cole's name had come up. They came to a settlement with him. He was in the audience and they were going to do something along the lines of, you know, oh, who's the name of the ring boy? Well, well, he's right here and he's going to recant the story. And it just didn't go down that road. And it might have been something, too, where the Donahue people saw when, when you and you, when you listen to this longer, you'll see that crowd really gets behind Murray Hodgson. Yes. And I think they didn't yeah. want the crowd 50-50 and turning back on Murray if Vince brings out a guy saying this is all BS. Yeah, I well, I'll tell you, I've got a lot to say about Vince McMahon on the show, but let's continue to hear uh, Phil Donahue from 1992. Uh, Tom Hankins, you're likewise a pro wrestler. You, uh, What's your story, Tom? Well, I'm a former pro wrestler. I got out of the business about four years ago, but uh, back in 1985 in Los Angeles, California, at the University of Hilton Hotel after the WWF had run a card at the sports arena. Uh, I was sitting at a bar with, uh, I guess, can I name these people? Sure, with Pat Patterson, Andre the Giant, Dr. Jerry Graham, and Mike LaBelle. He was a Los Angeles promoter at the time, or a former promoter in Los Angeles. Right. And uh, we sat there drinking maybe for an hour or so. I was talking to Pat. I'd known Pat for maybe six months. I knew he was gay, but, you know, it didn't matter to me if he was gay or not. And I knew... He was actually kind of running the shows in L.A. at the time. I don't believe he was in position as the booker yet. And I asked him... Let me was... interrupt to say that he is one of the executives who has resigned. Right. Very good, sir. And I asked him what was the chance of using me uh, to do jobs, which means you know, I was a loser. I'm not real big. I never made a lot of money in the business. I didn't really expect to go on the WWF make a lot of money. But I you loved... wanted to be in the game. Yeah, I love the business. I, work... I started out, I worked for $10 a night sometimes in Tennessee. No, just to wrestle, just to be in the business. Right. At the time, in 85, I was wrestling in Hawaii and Mexico and Southern California. So I asked Pat for, you know, if he'd give me a shot or at least a tryout. He said, well, you got two chances, slim and none. He goes, well, there is one way. And he wanted me to come up to the room with him and have oral sex with him. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, I'm not interested. And after that, the show, I went to the next uh, show they had at the sports arena. Went down to the dressing room where they'd always let me, you know, I in the dressing room, friends with a lot of the other wrestlers there. And Pat had me physically thrown out after that, acted like he didn't know me. Right. What brings you forward now, gentlemen? Actually, I came forward because when Vince said Barry's charges were ridiculous, it was just, I knew it was something that went on in the business, and anybody in this business really knew about it, knew what was going on with Patterson. Mm -hmm. So this is like, an, this is a feature of this culture that has been underway for a long time, and because it often involves uh, near-jobless, uh, vulnerable young males who wanted to be either in the game or on the card, uh, they'd back up and nobody wanted to blow any whistles. And I think, if I may, this also should be said, you didn't get a lot of press scrutiny. Nobody took you seriously anyway. Mainstream pre sports press today doesn't. Um, 
And, and uh, Mushnik of the New York Post writes a piece, uh, Phil Mushnik of the New York Post, his lead last week, the billion-dollar pro wrestling empire is about to be shaken to its foundations by a teenage boy scandal the Post has learned. Okay, Tom Hankins' story. First of all, I had never heard of Tom Hankins before this. And I'm, I'm not calling him a liar because I don't know what happened. But I'm finding it hard to believe for two reasons, Thomas. Number one, he didn't just get to hang out at the bar with Andre the Giant, Pat Patterson, and Mike LaBelle. That's just not how it works, okay? Number two, I've heard all kinds of stories about, you know, what went on in the WWF. Maybe they're true, maybe they're not. But one thing I've heard specifically from someone who is credible is that Pat didn't do stuff like that. Pat Patterson was gay, but he had a full-time partner, and he might have been, what's the word? He might have been inappropriate, but he was I've, – I've specifically heard that he never went after guys. The one thing that, that kind of made me speculate on here, and I could be creating this in my head, but uh, Hank had said like 1984, 1985 this happened, correct? Uh, yes. This particular incident. Uh, so with that being said, I can't imagine – that Pat Patterson at that time, because he had had the ear of Vince McMahon for a while, they had taken over Mike LaBelle in 83, and they kind of took it, and it was, there really wasn't much to take over because LaBelle had killed the promotion there. Right. So, and they really never recovered it to where it, you know, it had been in its heyday. But it wasn't like Pat Patterson was there you know, every Friday checking up on the L.A. wrestling scene. I, I believe at that time he was you know, a lot more of Vince's right-hand man than, uh, than, than it's being led to believe by Tom Hankins here. Having said that, it seems like he name-dropped four guys that at that time in 1984, I have a hard time believing they would have intertwined with each other there. I don't know what Dr. Jerry Graham was doing in 1984, but I doubt he was hanging around the, uh, the Marriott in Los Angeles. I, I, I don't know. I mean, it just seemed like a really hodgepodge group of guys to, to be together, especially Mike LaBelle, because by the time 84 comes around as well, too, LaBelle's been completely squeezed out by McMahon. So I got to imagine he's probably bitter, too, in this, in this whole regard. Mm. So it just seemed like a, it seemed like a real hodgepodge where I, I, I'm not saying that he's not credible, but I, I just I, I don't know. Murray Hodgson seems far and away the most credible person in this entire show, which we come to find out later on is total BS. But anyway. No, I, I agree with you. I mean, we on this day, I was like, wow, this Murray Hodgkin guy seems kind of credible, except for the fact that, you know, Pat Patterson is pretty well known for, for not being this way. But I, I mean, one other thing, too, Andre the Giant, there used to be this uh, WWF undercard guy named Dave Barbie, whose job it was after the matches had concluded was to keep people away from Andre the Giant. Now, I don't know if this was going on in 84 in 85, but I do know it was going on in like 86, 87. Was that before Tim White became kind of Andre's quote unquote handler, or was that like in, in addition to? It was in addition to because I, I don't, was Tim White on the road with Andre? Yeah, Tim, I, I believe Tim White, and I, I could be wrong here, uh, but I believe Tim White took that position over when Andre came back from the princess bride. Okay. All right. So I, I probably have my timeline a little bit wrong. And Barbie was like 84, 85, which is what we're talking about. 
But yeah, he was a prelim guy. It was his night job to keep people away from Andre the Giant. If you wanted to shake his hand, if you wanted an autograph, if you wanted to chit-chat, nope, Dave's sending you the other way. Anyway, we are returning now to Phil Donahue, uh, the show from 1992. All right, here's part of the story then. And uh, Mr. McMahon, sir, you are the boss. You are what we would call in my neighborhood uh, when we were growing up uh, a successful big shot. This is some operation you have. Over a billion dollars in annual revenue. You have, throughout the 80s, taken this thing that so many people snicker at. You have filled the Pontiac Superdome with the help of Hulk Hogan and an occasional theatrical idea that included Cindy Lauper and the marriage of kind of pop music with this uh, through the roof. Through the roof, the PGA should pray for this kind, these kinds of revenue. Uh, and now, here you are being accused, Mr. McMahon, of uh, presiding over an, or an organization that looked the other way while these uh, sex harassment charges were being, uh, uh, sex harass harassment activity was taking place. Sir, you wanted to say. We've never looked the other way in anything. And I'm very happy to confront everyone today with whatever allegation they have. The three individuals about whom most of these allegations are hurled are no longer with the WWF. We have started an independent investigation on our own to get to the bottom of all of this, and that's why we're here today, is to get to the bottom of it. We may even learn something here today that my investigators do not know. I want to get to the bottom of it just like you gentlemen do. What would you like to say to him? Anybody? Uh, I'd like to say that it's about time because... Uh... Up until now, you've been animate, animately denying that uh, not only that this is taking place, but that uh, and you're saying that you know, knew nothing of it. And, and I just find that really difficult to believe. Well, there's no reason. For, how do you find it difficult to believe that I knew nothing of it? Why would I condone this kind of activity and risk this alleged kind of revenue? Because, Vince, because you are the king of an empire and you have eyes and ears everywhere. And it is so common at least the topic of conversation for three to five minutes every night in the dressing room because a lot of the guys, they have to put up with it and they hate it because if they say anything, they're out of a job. Okay, now, I had followed this before the wrestlers appeared on Donahue. I believe Vince appeared on Nightline the Friday before, and Vince was adamantly denying it. And at the time, I was saying, okay, why is he saying no, this couldn't have possibly happened. Why, why wasn't he saying, well, I'll have it investigated. I don't know anything about it. He just put out a flat out. He had been vehemently denying everything up until this very moment. And he's finally handling it correctly, in my opinion. Yeah, he, he's really taking the uh, corporate speak here to the nth degree, saying that it's possible it could have happened to get on that we're going to hire a private investigating firm pretty much the standard fare you you would hear about now with any type of allegation for any type of um whether it's a pro sports league or a or corporation or anything like that so i think someone probably got in vince's ear and saying hey you don't want to necessarily call these people liars in a roundabout way because if they're right now now we're on the look for more money so yeah he was flat out calling them liars up until this very moment and I mean, how could Vince McMahon, I mean, Vince McMahon says, you know, I don't turn a blind eye to anything or whatever exactly he said. Of course, he looked the other way on multiple things, not just including 
these sex scandals and rumors. I mean, if I had heard the rumors in 1991, how could Vince not have heard anything? It's impossible. Well, I think at this point in time, this gets back to who is the average viewer of the Phil Donahue show at 10 o'clock in the morning. It's uh, stay-at-home parents and kids who are sick from school. So it's not hard to hoodwink people who have no inside knowledge of the wrestling business. And oh, hey, here's this guy just saying, I know nothing, I see nothing. Well, I guess I got to give him the benefit of the doubt because you know, I only have one, one, one set of ears and two sets of opinions I'm hearing from here. So he doesn't have that. And, and honestly, I'm kind of disappointed to get later on that Dave Meltzer doesn't you know, kind of call Vince out on his bullshit about all of this. Yeah, uh, I, I think Dave wanted to stay focused on, you know, not the, the WWF revenues, but rather stay focused on the, the issue at hand. And it, I thought Dave did a really good job on this show I mean. as we, that, as we will I mean. see between later. The, the between the steroids, between the scandals and everything else going on, I mean, you can even get into the Jimmy Snuka stuff if Dave really wanted to go for the jugular here. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't really say, oh, yeah, Vince knew. Vince knew. I mean, it could have been just that easy. Phil Don, he could have put it up on a T form and, and Meltzer could have knocked it out of the park, but it never happened. I, I, I mean, exactly. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll tell everyone like what happened. I was at the Lowell Memorial Auditorium. This was either late 1991 or I think it was late 1991. And I went with my friends who was also a, a newsletter guy and Mel Phillips is doing the ring announcing. And this guy starts yelling about at Mel Phillips about foot stuff. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, you don't know about this? I'm like, no, about what? And he goes over the whole allegation uh, that Mel Phillips had a foot fetish that (laughs) applied to small uh, children's feet. The kids who are under 18, the uh, ring boys, et cetera. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. I've, I've heard some crazy stuff in wrestling, but that kind of took the cake and of course me and my friend were screaming at mel phillips all night until he finally flipped us off and the crowd cheered for him we were being that obnoxious Uh, and mel phillips is one of the people who honestly once these allegations came out there was no denial by him there was no explanation but he just he, he vanished from the face of the earth yep and for 30 years he we've never heard from him since there's never been, and you would think Mel was fairly young, well, young in the span of life at the time. You would have thought somewhere in the last 30 years, someone would have, you know, got him in for a shoot interview of some sort. Because he did, what well, he did spend about a dozen years with the WWF, and he would probably have some stories to tell, but he's just, he's vanished. No, right away he vanished. And you're right. I was talking in, in 1990, like, or not, excuse me, in the 90s. Like, when are we going to see the RF video, Mel Phillips? shoot interview and it never happened you're right uh i mean ring announcers like mel i hate to say it but they're disposable you know you can always find another one and yeah mel had no value to the wwf he went away right away and has not been seen or heard from since did mel only do i always thought mel was the spectrum announcer and i want to say that once gary michael capetta stopped becoming the spectrum announcer that's when Phillips started, but there'd be some intertwining because I believe was, was Capetta there at any point in time in the eighties, in the very, very early eighties, or was he just seventies? Uh, no, he was there in the early eighties. He was still doing the spectrum. Okay. He was still 
doing all-star wrestling, if I recall correctly. Yeah, Mel went way back, and I, I remember seeing him doing the announcing or handling the ring jacket sometime, sometimes on championship wrestling, like way back in 76, 77. But anyway, let's hear some more from the Phil Donahue show, 1992. I don't believe that to be the case, but there may be some of it. If that's the, the case, then let's get to the bottom of it. I'm anxious to learn, just as you are. Well, well, I, want to hold some, I want to hold some organization. I want an organization that everyone can be proud of. I want to get to the bottom of it, just like you do. This happened to me. I tried to call. You know, I called the WWF offices. You were always in a meeting. They took my number, said you'd return my call. Well, you know, you didn't want to talk to me, basically. And I'm sure at the time you didn't know who I was, didn't know what I had to say. But, you know, I tried to explain it to whoever I talked to and I called. And, you know, and they didn't want this to... was when, sir? Uh, 1985. I don't recall the telephone. Has call. there been any uh, lawsuit? <laughs> Do you believe that sexual harassment exists in your workplace? I believe that there is a possibility of sexual harassment existing everywhere. And I, I asked directly want, if it was in the I World Wrestling Federation. And I don't want it in my organization. I don't want it. I'd like to reiterate the question. Do you believe there is sexual harassment amongst the wrestlers or employees at the World Wrestling Federation today? There is a possibility of that. That's why I've have these uh, independent investigators to come in. And who are these independent investigators? Fairfax Group Limited. And I would like, uh, you know, to hear what you have to say, and everyone has to say. I want to get to the bottom of it. Would you therefore believe that because of all these allegations coming forward and more and more corroborating evidence proving that there's no doubt sexual harassment is running rampant in the World Wrestling Federation, that you are definitely going to come public and do something about it? Why wouldn't I? If, in fact, that is the case, why wouldn't I do something about it? Why would I risk what we have? Because you haven't done anything about it until it became public, because you thought it because was under I the water. Because I had no knowledge of it. I made knowledge of it to you when I was fired, and you just blew it off and let me go. You I retained a lawyer. because you were not very good. You were not a very good announcer. You could not... That's the only reason why you were fired. You could not make the transition from radio to television. That is the only reason why you were fired. I would like to remind you, sir, that I have a two-year contract. Two you years. also have a clause in your contract that states, and as you know, you were hired on a trial basis. I was not hired you on a trial basis. Con- you, you do you not have a contract? Mr. McMahon, I have a two-year deal in with your firm. In that contract, you will note, in a clause that states very clearly, and I have it outlined for all to see here today, that you can be fired almost at whim. If, in fact, you're not doing a good job. You did a horrible job. That's the only reason why you were fired. That's it. Maybe I should point out, first and foremost, that might be your inability to uh, pick good talent. It could be. You had a national talent search, Vince McMahon. It could be. You advertised in Billboard magazine and across many different media sources searching for one man that could be the new face and voice of the World Wrestling Federation. You flew me in back and forth four and five different times from Detroit, and you chose over the course of one year of negotiations that I would be the man for that job I didn't sleep with your vice president. Two weeks later, I'm fired. I also want to point out one very important fact. From your office came a letter to my landlord to verify my employment. From that letter, I must bring this point up. It says, Murray Hodson has a very secure job with Titan Sports and is a positive and productive employee. From your office, just because I don't sleep with your vice president, that qualifies to blow me out of a two-year deal? I don't buy it. An outstanding performance by Murray Hodgkin. I'm not saying that in a sarcastic manner whatsoever. I mean, it's kind of come out. It kind of came out like almost right away that Murray was a bit of a con man. But man, what a performance. Vince did well. 
and he still got he still got blitzed. Yeah, well, Vince, the thing about it was in these types of of talk show settings, Vince is always going to be the bad guy unless you know he has the smoking gun that that vindicates the WWF. The fact that Murray was so smooth with all this because he kind of explained away Tom Hankins. Of course, like Vince, Tom Hankins just called. Who's that? Because I'm, I'm sure a thousand people called Vince McMahon a day in 1985. So I, I can believe that Tom Hankins may have tried to call once or twice. Vince just saw it and didn't know who he was and blew him off. I can believe that crystal clear. With Murray, the way he explains it, especially the letter, the, the little details of being flown in four or five times, the contract, things like that. If you didn't know any better, you'd be like, oh, my God, this guy's going to bring down the WWF. But his, his history would teach us that Murray Hodgson, and I believe, I want to say, and I, and I could be making up things in my mind here, but didn't get to the point where it was Murray's lawyer that kind of did a little background on Murray and said, no, we're not going any further on this because we're going to get too far down in this and, and be screwed. Is that, uh, that, that sound kind of uh, right to you? That sounds like what I was hearing in, in 1992 that, you know, Murray had kind of, you know, been exposed as someone who, who does this regularly. I, I did kind of crack up and it's in my notes on when Tom Hankins like, Oh, I, I tried to call you Vince. Like Vince McMahon is just going to take a phone call from whoever wants to get on the phone with him. That's ridiculous. I was saying this as soon as I saw this for the first time. I thought Vince McMahon blew an opportunity here because he could have said to Murray Hodgkin, look, I can assure everyone, I can assure everyone that you not sleeping with my vice president had nothing to do with you being fired because I made the decision myself. I decided I did not want this guy being the voice of the World Wrestling Federation, and I personally, sir, fired you. It had nothing to do with any of your allegations. But I guess to that point, cause that's, that's one of the things I thought, too. But to that point, if it shows Vince is that much of a micromanager, then he just can't say, you know, his eyes were closing out his fingers and his ears all the, as all these things going on. If he's making all these personnel decisions and, and things like that, he has to kind of have his ear to the ear to the door and know the things that are going on, hear the people that are talking. If he delegates that to Patterson or delegates that to, you know, Bruce Pritchard or Terry Garvin or whoever it was at the time, he could just say, well, that was a decision made by them. I didn't think it did very well, but they went ahead and recommended DB fire or something along those lines. But I, by saying I'm doing it myself and I'm making that fire determination myself, that means I'm complicit in lying to you about not knowing anything that's going on. I, I don't know if the average person would, would connect those dots. I mean, and like I said, that would have gotten Vince off right away. Like, you know, no, Murray, I made the decision. Being the announcer in the World Wrestling Federation is extremely important. And we had you on. We did a WBF tape, and you were okay. And your performance was declining. And I personally decided to pull the plug. I am responsible for the production of all WWF materials. And the announcer is vital, and you just weren't up to it. And I was, like, like I said, I was said, hey, I made that decision. So, right there, whatever happened between you and Pat Patterson is irrelevant. And, it, and it's very uh, logical if you're looking at it from a wrestling fan's perspective, maybe not the outsider watching Donahue, because those B and C announcers, 
they rotated in and out every few months. Sean, guys like you know Gene Oakland's the A and out, the A event center now. So I'm not talking about like Monsoon and Keenan and, and and Jim Ross later on, but people like you know Craig DeGeorge, people like um, Stephanie Wyan, Charlie Min, Stan Lane, Joe Fowler, they were in and out in three or six months, typically speaking. There was no this person sucks. We're going to keep him on until his contract runs out. No, if Vince found somebody better, you were out the door. The next guy was coming in. Well, I mean, on the other hand, Murray Hodgkin never did any announcing for the WWF. I mean, if I'm Vince, my counterpoint is, yeah, we, you know, we have people who do tryouts and they're never on television, much like Murray Hodgkin, if they're not up to par. But I, I see what you're saying. You're right. You do have that, you know, rotating host thing going on. But like I said, I think the average person just wouldn't have connected those dots. But you do bring up a good point. And when you look at it, too, I'm sure that Murray knew what the clauses were in his contract. Because he keeps saying, I have a two-year contract. I have a two-year contract. I'm sure they told him. I'm sure he was told by HR when he was hired or even when he was terminated, hey, this contract's by no means ironclad. And I think Vince maybe said it earlier. Or maybe he's going to say it later on. But the terms of that contract, Hey, you know, if, if Murray walked in with a tie that Vince didn't like, Vince could fire him. Yep. He, could, he didn't have to be fired for cause is what I'm getting at. No, exactly. And that's what I was talking about when I said that WWF contracts, especially to the announcers, were really one-sided. Like, basically, you can't jump to WCW, but we can fire you at any time. Right. And, and it, But at the one point, I believe that with the announcing crew, and I, and I could be wrong about this, but I believe they were considered WWF employees, though. I actually believe you are correct. They were not and are not independent contractors, unlike the where they have the wrestlers kind of pigeonholed. But anyway, let's continue listening to the Phil Donahue show. Said very well, but I believe untrue. If, in fact, these allegations against Pat Patterson, whom you won't name, are true, why not pursue the legal course, the legal recourse? Why not pursue? We are doing that right now. You are. And you are aware that you waited six months after you were let go to bring these homosexual charges against Pat Patterson. Six months you waited. Why? September 14th. If, in fact, you were fired on the spot, if you were fired for incompetence, all right, why didn't you say right then? Why didn't you say, hey, look, Vince, your, your vice president made a pass at me. You never told me that. No one had any knowledge. Human resources had no knowledge of that. Rene DuBose was waiting to hear your story. Why did you wait six months? You asked me for $160,000 today, otherwise you were coming on this program. I'm happy Excuse you're me? on this program. Mr. McMahon, do not try to deflect the truth here. First what are you foremost, asking for? How much money have you asked for? I have never asked for any amount of money from you. You have tried to buy me off to shut up so I wouldn't come forward and tell of these allegations that's running through the World Wrestling Federation. Your attorney should be consulted. My attorney on September of 1991 came forward to you with a letter direct to you telling you exactly what happened and that I was discharged wrongfully, I had a two-year contract, and that you too were well aware of the fact that there was a homosexual advance made against me. Don't tell me I waited six months. Three weeks later, I was on months. your rear end. Three six months later? Six weeks later. 
No. The only no. reason we waited a little longer was because you continued to try to negotiate to buy me out, and I wouldn't no, allow it. The fact of the matter is, you, if you look into this man's past, the fact of the matter, if you look into your I don't think we should bringing up the oh, past. I guess not. The okay, issue sure. at hand All here, right. Mr. McMahon, okay. is one thing and one thing only. You addressed on Larry That's King Live Friday. Friday. Friday on CNN. Issue. You went on and you said that I never worked for the World Bodybuilding Federation. I am on a video that is sold around worldwide. True, your my voice. Is. So you told me you told the country that I didn't work for the World well, Wrestling Federation. You weren't say you were a freelance and you were hired. Well, of course not. Right. But you weren't Second of all, you point. said you fired me. You yes. didn't fire me. John Filippelli not only gave me the letter, but he also fired me. John felt so bad that I was being released that he allowed me to stay at his house if I wanted to and be with his family until I could find further place to live. And that's, my friend, speaks to all of the good deeds and good people throughout the World Wrestling Federation. We're talking about three people here. We're talking about three people and only three people that have these brought these allegations against. We're not talking about the 300. We're not talking about all of the wrestlers and things of that nature. Let's keep some balance here. Let me make the point that this uh, very important uh, conflict transpires at a time that uh, the all-time star of the wrestling game, Hulk Hogan, felt obliged to go on the Arsenio Hall show to say, I do not use steroids only to be followed by a number of... Uh, I don't believe you said that, Phil, if I can... Uh, well, he said I used, what, three times uh, He for, did admit to steroid usage. Uh, he, he said three times. Yes. And we have now several people stepping forward to say, listen, I sent Federal Express packages. They were picked up here and there. Uh, this is not to suggest that we know the absolute answer to this. This is re rather to call your attention to the fact that now some inquiry extends to Hulk Hogan. Why is that important? Because he's on just about every kind of child's toy you can buy. We're talking Hasbro here. Some of the biggest giants in the manufacturing of toys are, and the images. This is, he's not yet Mickey Mouse, but one, but one billion dollars worth of business. How much at risk is this? And how much will steroid, uh, the steroid uh, controversy uh, find its way onto the front pages or the sports pages of our newspapers. Uh, an establishment that, as we have said, has largely ignored any kind of probe of the wrestling game. We'll talk with journalists who have probed it in just a moment. Here's my question. How in 1991 or 1992 could, or even going further, way further back than then, how could anyone not look at the television and say, okay, these guys have natural physiques? It just, it, it, it blows me away. Like, even before I started getting newsletters, like, I knew these guys were using. I mean, it, it's really insulting to the intelligence. And we talked about, you know, the, the average uh, wrestling fan not watching this particular episode as it happened in the morning or whatever it was on. But the average layperson being expected to believe that is insulting, to be quite honest. And uh, getting back to the Murray Hodgson thing, you, you kind of hear Vince say, there are things in your past, Murray, and Murray immediately deflects it, Yeah. if you notice that part. yeah. And then there's the part where Murray said, or maybe it was Vince, something about $160,000. Now, I, I truly believe that Vince was willing to probably buy out Murray or pay out his contract to have him go away. And I think Murray uh, and his lawyers tried to strong arm Vince even more. 
because I mean it, it's not unprecedented because Tom Cole was you know, was in the audience that night, so maybe it was you know trying to do that and it just hit an impasse. But I truly believe that Murray was playing ball with that. He was not trying to be the the woe is me person. Vince is trying to shut me up, sort of thing. I mean, there's no question that Murray and the WWF, or Murray's lawyers on his behalf, were negotiating with the WWF, and you know, just wanted more go away money than one hundred and sixty five thousand dollars. Which I mean, that that's a lot of money now. Never mind nineteen ninety two. But if you can get three hundred thousand, and you think you can get it, and you think being on this show would be worth it to the WWF, you know, spending that kind of money. But in the end, I don't even I don't know what Murray got, obviously, if he got anything. But now I doubt it was one hundred and sixty five thousand. I don't think he got a dime, John, to be I, like I said, I, but the story and I could be wrong here. And please, you know, remind me on the Facebook pages once this comes out. But I thought that what the story was, was that Murray's lawyers found out, you know, about his flim flaming elsewhere. And they just said, I'm out. And then huh. this all kind of quietly went away. But I don't believe he saw a nickel from this. But having said that, again, as well, Vince really could have changed the narrative of this, of this entire show if he just pushed that saying, oh, Murray, you're here to you know, try to tell me what I'm doing wrong. Then why is it that you asked for this number in order to step off the show? If you're so concerned about X, Y, and Z, why did you we'll sign an NDA or you'll do this or that for this kind of money? Isn't this important? I mean, just in, instead of that, he turns it around. And whenever John Filippelli's name's mentioned, he goes, well, that just goes to show you the good people we have in the world. Oh, come on, Vince. That's that terrible. was bad. He, he totally, he totally could. He had, the, he had the narrative of the story in the palm of his hands. You had Billy Graham coming on here momentarily. who's going to play the role of Captain Lou Albano in this talk show. And he could have had, he could have had opportunity to come away with this a lot better than he should have been, and he, and he blew it. The, the thing with Filippelli was, was simply unbelievable. The audience just laughed in his face. All right, let's go back. We had a commercial break. Let's go back to the Phil Donahue show that aired in 1992. Dave Meltzer. Dave, you're an editor of the Wrestling Observer, uh, which is what? The New York Times of Wrestling? Well, I wouldn't say that, but... Uh, All right, well, you might as well, if okay. I say... Um, uh, John Arezzi is a talk show host, uh, uh, a wrestling program at WEVDAM. You guys will agree that the mainstream folks really haven't had a whole lot of time for any kind of probe or serious attention to wrestling. Isn't that so? Well, I think that that's, uh, wrestling in general has never gotten its due um, <laughs> recognition as far as um, in its, its popularity. As a business. As a, a very business, big business. And entertainment. Both positive and negative. I think that it hasn't been given, yeah. and, and maybe perhaps that's why a lot of things have happened. Okay. That that uh, you mean over the years, and, and nobody's no whistles have been blown. Exactly. G give me your shortest speech, uh, okay. Dave. What's going on here? Wh why is this serious? I mean, I think we know, but there is a kind of a tendency to chuckle at this. You know, the big boys are, uh, you know, are playing uh, with each other is kind of ha ha. Um, <laughs> Uh, and it isn't. It it's isn't. Not, not at all. No. Well, tell them why. Tell them to why, why this well, is important. There's so many different issues here, and the um, as far as as far as like a, a criminal thing, I think hopefully everybody in this panel wants just the truth to come out. And I don't know what the truth is. I, you know, we all hear different versions of a story, and we just want to hear the truth. Very so good. that's fine. John, yeah. what would you add to that? Same question. Well, the mainstream media pretty much has uh, ignored the entire situation. Uh, 
Uh, they really just started jumping on it last year with uh, uh, allegations of steroid abuse in the World Wrestling Federation, and now they've really uh, come alive. Uh, and what, do you think that's what opened the door to these charges? I think, the, uh, I think what opened the door to all these charges basically was the fact that uh, last year after the steroid trial of Saharian, uh, Vince McMahon started a steroid policy. Dr. Zaharian, Harrisburg, PA, three years steroid distribution. Right. Yeah. And uh, after that trial, uh, Mr. McMahon started a steroid policy, and during that press conference, he did not invite the wrestling media. Uh, I alerted Phil Muchnick to that, and after that... Uh, uh, that's when certain people started calling Mr. Muchnick about other allegations. Uh, you speak of the New York Post reporter. Yes. Superstar Billy Graham, I'll tell you what, he's won his share. Former pro wrestling champ. Hey, baby. Oh, they still love you, Billy. Don't tell them I had to give you a shot before okay. the show, okay. right in the mouth because okay. you were disobeying okay. my orders. <laughs> Former... Hey, uh, hey, what's not so funny, uh, Billy? Tell him. Uh, you, uh, you saw ring boys, did you, being sexually harassed? Yes, I, I've seen ring boys uh, being sexually harassed. What's a ring uh, boy? Uh, Pat, a ring boy is a person who's uh, usually employed to put up, uh, put up and take down a ring, travel from one town to another. Uh, age group possibly from 13 to 19 to 20 uh, fluctuates anywhere in between. And you saw what? Uh, I, I saw on one occasion, in, in, I believe it was in, uh, New Haven, Connecticut, Pat Patterson actually grabbed one of these child, one of these children rather, in the crotch while putting up the ring. I witnessed, I came to the arena a little bit early, walking by the ring to the locker room, and I saw Pat Patterson with his left arm on the kid's shoulder and his right hand in his crotch. I witnessed this for myself. You also claim to have, uh, you did not see the abuse of a 12-year-old boy in the car. You mentioned this on Larry King's program. I wasn't on Larry King's program. Weren't you? Oh, I'm sorry, Barry. I'm sorry. Sorry, you weren't. Uh, Bruno was. We'll get to Bruno in a moment. Did you see? Uh, uh, you you didn't see the abuse of a 12-year-old in a car by the ring announcer, did you? I didn't see the I didn't see the actual abuse. I was there the night in Allentown, Pennsylvania, when Mel Phillips was caught in the front seat of a car with a child approximately 10 years old performing performing oral sexual yeah. Uh, yeah, but now... on this child of 10 years old, brought into the arena by a security guard confronted to Mr. McMahon, Vince Sr. and Vince Jr., and they said we would handle it. Vince Sr., your father? Is that right, Vince? Yes, and first of all... Is that I, true? No, I don't know if it's true or not. I, I can tell you that no one ever came to my what dad What was the year this me. is supposed to have taken place, Billy? About 82 or 83, I can't remember, but the, the, the main part, I want to be... We should also with... make this point, Billy. These are pretty heavy bombs you're throwing These here. These are very heavy bombs, uh, but, but, yeah, but we don't bomb. have any proof, and I don't think you're claiming to have seen the illegal act. Okay, I may not have seen the, the illegal, the, this particular illegal act, but, but it has gone on for so many years, just as the selling of drugs by Dr. George Zahorian has gone on for 15 years in the World Wrestling Federation. Very good. Uh, witnessed and uh, condoned yeah. by Vince McMahon, you see, and, and condoned by him sitting this close to Dr. Zahorian while he sold steroids, while he sold barbiturates, downers and uppers to every yeah. wrestler who have yeah. wanted them, just you see. I'm saying, what I'm trying to say is the man could condone this, so he also condoned the homosexuality. Uh. He put up with the drug sell and he put Let up the homosexuality. Identify the cast of characters here. You mentioned Amal Phillips. He is another of the executives who has resigned. I don't believe he was an actual executive. He was a ring announcer. Was he not? Has he not resigned from the WWF? I believe he has resigned or been fired. I don't know uh, which. Uh, is, is he not one of the people who has... Uh... 
He's one of those who has uh, stepped down alleged, uh, yes. following the publicity about this. Yes. Nobody's been proven guilty. We should get that point. You're denying you recall anything like this looking the other way. Or... All right. I'm going to say something kind of heavy right now. I believe every word superstar Billy Graham is saying. I, I can't prove it, obviously, but I believe he's telling the truth. It's hard with Billy Graham because there have been so many times where Billy has either. When is Billy lying? Is he lying when he makes the accusations or when he comes out later on and says, I, I was lying about making up make those accusations? Because there's times where he's got back into the good graces of the WWF, whether it was with the DVD, whether it was the Hall of Fame, Legends deals, things like that. And then a year or two go by and he blasts the WWF again. So it, it's where, where do the lies stop with Billy? That, you know what, that is a really good point. I believe the lie is when he said, no, I made all of these things up. I, I, I believe what he is saying right now on this program. And again, that's not, you know, as Phil Donahue pointed out, no one's been proven guilty. I just, you know, based on some of my conversations over the years with people in the business, I, I believe the Mel Phillips story. I, I believe everything Superstar Billy Graham is saying. By the way, Superstar was not, in good shape here. Uh, I mean, Donnie was like, you know, wow, you're a, a really big, strong guy, but he was getting around in a walker. Yeah, but he never really recovered from that hip replacement in 86, 87, and it, it just degenerated, I guess, more and more. I don't know if it was both hips or the you know, it became one hip became the other hip, or it was just one hip that just kept being chronically bad for him. But one thing that jogged my memory as I was listening to the recap just now, they keep calling Mel Phillips a ring announcer, and while he was, wasn't he also more on a full-time basis, kind of the head of the ring crew? Yes. Or the yeah. foreman or whatever? Okay, yeah, that's, that's what I thought. Okay, so yeah, he was kind of in charge of that, and while he's here, he's also the ring announcer, but yeah, he was in charge of the ring crew, and like I said, I mean, there were, there were stories about Mel Phillips, and you know, that doesn't mean that they're true, but there were certainly plenty of them. He, Graham was talking, now here's the thing, Graham was talking about how he witnessed Pat Patterson grabbing a kid, grabbing the guy's crotch, okay, guy 19, 20 years old. And I came right out and said, you know, I believe the story. And I also believe that Pat Patterson, he didn't uh, propose to anyone. He didn't try to force someone to have sex, but he was, the, from what I've heard, like that was his idea in the early 90s, late 80s, of pulling a rib on a guy, uh, just, you know, grabbing their ass or whatever. And I, I understand that's not a rib. I'm just saying that's where Patterson as old school as he was, was coming from. And that would have probably with Patterson being there that early as a part of the booking team or as an agent, that would have probably been in Billy Graham's 87 run, maybe early 88. I presume that correct. I don't that think sounds Patterson about right. Yeah. By in '82, and Billy Graham came back. I don't think that Patterson was in that position, but he could have been maybe. But I don't think he was. That that puts a whole lot. And then Billy Graham really, it, it becomes that whole Mike McQuarrie thing. Then we dealt with in Penn State. If you're seeing this stuff, why are you waiting five years to bring it up now? You've been out of the WWF now for since 1988. Why didn't you bring it up the moment you were let go? The moment you quit? Why didn't you bring it up in 89, 90, 91, 92? Why now? And, and that's kind of where the skepticism comes in because now it's like, okay, he wanted to bury Hulk Hogan about the steroids. 
but now he's going to add little things to everything else now, which that lets me believe there's a credibility question on Billy Graham just based on that, that little snippet alone. And that's a reasonable thing to say, but someone it, it's coming up like I like I said, I haven't seen this in probably 10 years, but, you know, someone would say, well, why are you coming forward now? And the answer was because I've never had a forum to come forward in. You know, no one was asking me to be on the Donahue show two years ago. Now I've been asked. I'm telling my story. And that, that's logical. That's a logical point here. And really. It just seems the way and, and when, once you see Billy Graham uh, later on talk about Hulk Hogan, that's kind of where I see, OK, how much of this is just jealousy that Hogan. You know, more or less ripped off Billy Graham's career to a certain extent, and he hit the stratosphere while Billy Graham didn't. I mean, how much of that is, is weighed into all this? I mean, that that's an excellent point. I remember the first time I ever saw Hulk Hogan in late 1979. I was like, wow, this guy totally has a superstar Billy Graham gimmick. Make sure to listen to the next episode of Stick to Wrestling as John and Thomas Bain continue their discussion of the WWF steroid and ring boy sex scandals and listen to the rest of Donahue from March of 1992. Stick to Wrestling with John McAdam is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. I'm your producer, Lou Kippelman, and I've just been handed a note. Go Vols! And this concludes our podcast day.